0: This week on Restore It All, we've got one of the founders of the company that created MDISC. That's the optical storage product that can hold data for a thousand years. He talks about why they made it and how in the world they're able to make that claim. I hope you enjoy the episode. You
1: could re-
0: Hi and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All podcast. I'm your host W Curtis Preston, aka Mister Backup, and I have with me, as always, the guy who's doing a really poor job of talking me out of buying a Tesla. Persona Malianti. how's it going, Persona?
1: I'm good, Curtis. Now, to be fair, I never talked you into buying it. I'm just—I told you that your
0: job was to talk me out of buying a Tesla. Yeah, th- th- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think it's
1: for reasons that you want, right? Where you want to try some new technology. It could make mm-hmm. sense. Plus, I know that you've been also a little stressed about your car that you currently drive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's that. Um it's not sure not sure how long it's gonna be. Uh and well and, and also I'm i <laughs> I'm getting a case of FOMO because I got a new car for my wife. So um you know, maybe it's just not, it's not FOMO. It's just, uh, it jealousy. is a bit of,
1: it is. It. <laughs> well, it's only jealousy and FOMO. If you never get to steal the car from her, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she'll get many more miles on it than I will. Yeah.
1: Or you should tell her, by the way, it's about six weeks delayed. Um, don't worry about it. It'll eventually. Be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, honey, I, yeah, sorry. The, uh, the car is not going to be here. It's, um, <laughs> It's yeah.
1: It's they late. had an issue with shipping. I'm sorry, but yeah, don't worry but about that thing- new car that's in their driveway. It's totally fine. It's someone else's yeah. car.
0: Don't know who. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why does my new car have ten thousand miles on road? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Curtis. That would be the, the Tesla is like a LTO uh tape drive. Like it costs <laughs> kept- a lot to get into it, but then the media is cheap.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is probably true. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. Um, I can't believe you just made a reference to LTO tape with the Tesla. Yeah. I can can see people like turning over and watch. Elon Musk is now going to tweet you.
0: (laughs) I cannot believe
1: you compared.
0: Yeah. I think um, Elon paying any attention to me is highly unlikely, but, you know, we'll see. Um, So for our listeners, if you
1: feel like you want to get
0: Elon – to respond to Curtis
1: about this, please tag him on Twitter along with Curtis, and let's see if we can get Elon to respond.
0: Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, that w- that wouldn't you know it wouldn't hurt the uh, you know the listenership of the podcast, I'm sure. But um, yes, yeah, so I compared a Tesla to an LTO tape drive, and I think it's a pretty good comparison. But uh, speaking of inexpensive media, we have uh, an exciting guest today. We we have talked about. Uh, MDISC before. Our guest today is a full professor at BYU, having been there since 1992, uh, also having taught at Utah State and Snow College. Prior to that, he was a design engineer for IBM in Arizona. He is one of two co-founders of MDISC, which we have talked about on this uh, podcast a couple times. Welcome to the podcast, Barry Lunt. Thank you very much.
2: Good to be with you guys today.
0: So, uh, um, but, but, but
1: before you get into what, it, what Barry would you say, would you say Curtis's
2: analogy was accurate? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you want me to opine on that? Well, actually, I quite liked it. I think there are some similarities there.
0: <laughs> and like LTO, uh, Tesla has a lot of haters, <laughs> yep, <laughs> there's a lot of people that, that like it, you know, and the people that like tape, you know, and people are like, you know what, it's it's like M-Disc, right? There are people that are big fans of M-Disc, and then there are people that just, well, they don't, I don't think M-Disc really has any haters. I think there there's there's some non-believers, and I think sure. uh, we can talk about that. And um, I, I want to, um, so we've covered M-Disc. Bersana, do you have episode names and numbers?
1: Yes, we covered M-Disc in... Uh, Let's see. Episode 160 is MDIS, the ultimate archive medium for SMB and home users. So go take a listen. That was kind of Curtis and my take on MDIS based on information that Daniel Rosehill had shared with us. Because Barry, uh, like Curtis was saying, you kind of have the people who love MDIS and you kind of have the haters who may not be there. I think there's actually a third group, which is probably a significant group of people who don't even know MDIS exists.
0: Well, I think that's a. I think that's that's <laughs> the biggest group, um, and and I was in that group. Yeah, up both until us were. <laughs> yeah, up until Daniel. Um, you know, I I I mean, at this point, you know, my my day job is one of of it doesn't have anything to do with optical media. I should probably throw out our usual disclaimer. persona and I both work for different companies. He works for Zoom. I work for Druva. This is not a podcast of either company not sponsored by them or uh, anything like that. Uh, and um, the opinions that you hear are ours. If you would like to join us on the podcast, please do so. Just reach out to me at WC Preston on Twitter or w. Curtis Preston at Gmail. Also, please rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. So thanks to Daniel, which is, uh, you know, he calls himself a term I hadn't even heard before, backup Anorak. We had him on the on the podcast. And he turned us on to M disks. So, what I'd like to so so first, let's just do a, a quick, you know, summary of what how you would describe M disk today.
2: How I would describe it?
0: Yes, he's never heard it. They they know what a DVD is, right? Or they know what a okay. Blu-ray is, but they don't know what they don't know what M disk is. So, how how would you describe that? And you know, relatively shortly.
2: Yeah. So, uh, if you die and a thousand years from now, your great your, your descendants want to learn something about you and they find this something up in the attic, if it's digital, which everything is today, it will have nothing on it. All, all digital media degrades with time, and in a thousand years, it will have nothing on it except for the M-Disc. The M-Disc will still be readable, and we suspect that people will have a way to read the disc because it's easy today, it's cheap. In a thousand years, I can't imagine that would be difficult. Uh, so the, the data that was recorded 1,000 years ago will still be there.
0: And so it is an optical medium, but it it's, is. Dif- it's different than the, opt- than the other optical mediums. How?
2: It is different in what we call the recording layer. You, know, you have polycarbonate, which is the base material for the optical disc. And then you put a layer of material there that is light sensitive so that you can use a laser to actually change the nature of that material and record your 1s and zeros. Most of the, uh, uh, well, all optical disks except for the M-Disc use a recordable dye, and that dye is organic, which means that it degrades with time. And, of course, it has to be light-sensitive, which means if you put it in the light, the light's going to erase it relatively quickly within a matter of years, depending on how intense the light. Ours is only light-sensitive in that it absorbs light, but it's like stone. It's like using a laser to etch. Pictures in stone, once they're there, you cannot remove them. You have to physically destroy the disk in order to remove the data. It cannot be re recorded. So basically, all the
1: CDs, DVDs that I have in my closet from things that I've burned, they're probably useless now because they were burned probably like 20 years ago.
2: Yes. If you burn them, it's <laughs> uh, highly likely that the data is not there. Now, if you buy them in the store, they're not recordable discs, meaning the data has already been recorded, and it's recorded on them by a very different method. It's a stamping method, and then uh, we deposit a metal reflective layer on top of that, and that's very permanent. The NIST did some studies, and they showed that it has a lifetime of about 1,500 years on these permanently uh, stamped disks, so that, that's good, but you can't record those yourself.
0: We brought you on to talk about the disk, but the only, if I want to call it competing there, there is something that that I've that I've heard about. People talk about an archive quality DVD. Um, do, what, what do you know about that?
2: Quite a bit. We did a lot of studies when we had the, when Millennium was a going enterprise, and we did a whole lot of studies that I've published on the comparison between those, and of course the Naval Weapons Research Center did an independent study for us because they were concerned about storing data for a long time. And they published their results independent of the company, and basically they looked at the very top archival quality recordable optical discs and mm-hmm. compared them to the M disc. And ours won out by a long, long, long ways. All of theirs died during the test. Ours mm-hmm. actually slightly improved. We won't. We don't claim that it improved because we can't see how it could, but it did. Our disc did
0: not get worse at all. How How do you get? The, uh, I... How do you improve? How would you improve it? (laughs) Because if, you know, I would assume that it's like 100%. That's like baseline. So how do you improve
2: from that? That's a really good question. Um, uh, Digital data is, you know, we like to think of it as ones and zeros. And when you read it back, we turn it into ones and zeros. But in reality, what you do is you change the optical properties of the disk. So in some places, it reflects well. In other places, it doesn't. And we call those ones and zeros. Well, it turns out that every time you read data back, no matter what you store it on, hard disks, uh, optical disks, LTO tapes, whatever you st- or flash drives, whatever you store it on, when you read it back, it doesn't come out perfect. And so we fix that on the fly using what we call error correction coding. Well, we can simply look at those errors as they come in and see them before they're fixed. So clearly, if I have 20 errors and a competing disk has 50 errors, then mine's better, but they're both correctable. And therefore, in the end, they wind up with zero errors because they're all correctable errors. But eventually, you reach a point where there are too many errors and you no longer can correct the model, and so the disk fails to read correctly. But that's how we assess the quality of the the data, is looking at the errors before they're corrected.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that does the, uh, that's, that's how you get better than, than a hundred percent because, right. because a hundred percent really isn't a hundred percent. That's the way. Erica that's right. Of. And, and I, I don't think, I think the average it person understands that, but which that's generally our audience, but I don't think the average consumer gets that at all. No, but I look at things like this, especially something new like this. I mean, it's new to me. I know it's been around. How long has it been around?
2: 2008.
0: Yeah. So a, a while right what? I, I, I can't believe that i it's literally half of my backup career it's been out and i hadn't heard of it until daniel um but again i i spent most of my time in tape and then went into disc and in the world where i live in the idea of a device that can only hold uh you know a certain number of gigabytes uh you know not very exciting the other problem historically with with the areas where i typically did backup and recovery what well there's a couple one one of the big ones is throughput right and optical has never been very sexy when it comes to throughput
2: right no, it is, it um, has not.
0: <laughs> yeah great on long-term archiving but but not so much in uh throughput
1: what made you want to create Disc barry like what was sort of the reason behind it
2: yeah i love telling this story yeah. um in 2005, I was thinking about my pictures. And of course, we uh, if you back up about 30 years, people thought pictures were very, very valuable because you'd, you'd pay for the role of film, you'd print them off and you'd put them in a photo book. And people always said, if my house is on fire, the first thing I'm going to do is get my children out and then number two, my, uh, my photo albums because they were very valuable. Well, that's how I felt about digital pictures when I first started getting them and that was about 2005. And so I had a hard drive full of them and I knew... The hard drives are prone to catastrophic failure. And so I thought, okay, what should I back it up onto? I thought about optical disks. I knew that they didn't last a long time. I thought about flash drives. I knew they weren't permanent. And I thought about uh, magnetic tape. And I didn't have really a good option there because getting into it, it's been on the expensive side. And I knew that there was nothing permanent. I thought, gee, if I, if I care about storing my pictures for a long time, I'm sure I'm not the only person in the world who does. Wouldn't we be nice if we had a permanent digital data storage medium? So that's when I remembered, well, you know, I've seen petroglyphs. I had taken my son and a bunch of other 16, 17-year-old scouts down to a place called Nine Mile Pass, about an hour and a half from where I live, to do some camping. And while there, we looked at some petroglyphs made by the Fremont Indians hundreds, perhaps thousands of years ago, still visible today. And I realized that they were made by a process different than what I understood. That is, they're etched. The, The outside layer of the rock is dark from the exposure to the weather for centuries and millennia. And then they just took uh, some sharp object and etched away that top layer and exposed a light layer. And that's optical contrast. And I thought, well, that's how optical discs are made. You have light spots and dark spots. And then I thought, well, we could use an optical disc and put a rock-like media on it, dark, and then ablate it with a laser and have dark spots and light spots and record data permanently. And so I thought, wow, that's cool. So that's when I started uh, visiting with my chemistry friend, Matt Lentford. And he and I said, uh, yeah, we think this is worth researching. Let's do it. And then a couple of years later, we found a couple of the guys that were interested in starting a company, uh, Henry O'Connell and Doug Hansen. And that's when we started Millenniata. So that, that was about 2005, 2006 that we started the enterprise.
0: Coming into this, like from the back end, like by the time I find about MDISC, the M in disk isn't around anymore. So I was like, so I, <laughs> I was confused. And you know how is this? You know, I, I mean, I've since learned the answers to that question. So, so the company, as I understand it, the company itself didn't succeed, but the but the medium did. Is that is that a fair summary?
2: That is yes. In the process of uh, the many different things that the company tried in order to stay afloat, they licensed the production of the media to Verbatim, and Verbatim has continued to produce the M disk. And so, as far as I'm aware, they're the only company. That produces it today uh, under license from the company Millenniata.
0: Gotcha. How is that different than, because um, that because my understanding is that the original company isn't around anymore. Is that not a correct understanding? Yeah,
2: that is correct. The company is not around anymore. It went into receivership a few years ago, and
0: okay, so we don't have any so,
2: proceeds. But but at the time we were making the discs ourselves, and Verbatim was uh, also making them.
0: Oh okay, gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So basically they
1: and have the IP to make the technology, right?
2: Because we licensed it to them. Right
1: so we talk about the media, right, Barry, but that's like only half the equation, right? How do you get things onto that media? Right, I guess is like a critical aspect. And I know we were talking or joking earlier about Tesla comparing it to LTO, tape drives, right? And the cost being so high up front. What does MDISC require in order to actually be able to use the media?
2: Wow, that's a pretty deep question, but I I suppose our technical audience is ready for something like that. Uh, In order to record a one and a zero on the disk, you have to turn on the laser at a certain intensity, leave it on for a certain amount of time, and then finish. And it's not a question of just turning it on and off. You have to do a start and then an end, what we call a castle. So you have to get the the, uh, media to ablate. The recording layer has to be ablated. You have to start it, And then you have to continue ablating it, but then you have to stop it so that you get a mark that is consistent in length. Let's say they want three ones. Well, my four ones needs to be exactly 33% longer than my three ones. Exactly. The same is true for my two ones needs to be 33% smaller. And to get those marks to be there consistently is extremely difficult. And then we don't do it well. We get what we call jitter, which is variation in the time domain which means we get errors, bit errors. It increases our bit error rate. Which is the last thing
1: where you want for like a disk you're going to keep for a thousand years, right? Clearly, you want
2: extremely low bit errors. So we just had to work with developing what we call a write strategy. Well, the write strategy, it turns out for the DVD, had to be unique. And so we had to develop it. And then we had to uh, include that write strategy in the drives that, that recorded and read back the DVD. Well, when we developed the Blu-ray version of the M-Disc, it turns out that one of the right strategies for one of the various types of media for the Blu-ray version already worked for ours. So we didn't have to have a different kind of drive. So so originally, yeah, you had that a special drive for the DVD, but for the Blu-ray, you didn't have to. And so now you can record on any M-Disc with the right DVD drive, but you can record on any Blu-ray M-Disc with any drive. And then, of course, the good news is Once they're recorded, you can read them on any DVD player or any Blu-ray player in the world.
1: Wow. So that, because unlike LTO tape drives, right, where you have to, I know, Curtis, you've talked about, yes, you need a certain type and make sure it's compatible and all the rest. It looks like with M-Disc, it's pretty much anything, as long as it can read a Blu-ray, should be able to at least read that disc.
0: Typically, not even all writable dvd and blu-ray media were always readable in all drives um so but but you're saying this one is and, and by the is. way my information on that is a little out of date but um <laughs> you're saying no problem here
2: no problem there are plenty of read strategies and the read strategies all work with the disk, thankfully
0: okay okay so um and and this does but, bring up a, a related question, though, because when I was when I was researching this, I was, so again, you know, go big or go home. I was looking at the hundred gigabyte disks, right, and um, I was like, uh, just interesting. Based on the application, I might use it. I might not need the hundred gigabyte disk, right? Because it is a write once. By the way, I can keep appending, right? You,
2: you can keep appending until the disk okay. is full. You can keep appending.
0: Okay. So I found an incredibly inconsistent um, verbiage on various Blu-ray drives as to whether or not they supported the larger medium. Do do, do you think like it would all Blu-ray drives support the larger medium or do I have to find a specific one that would support that?
2: You would have to have a specific one that supports that. I remember
1: I was having a Twitter chat message thread with Daniel about this, and Mm -hmm. he was saying, because he lives in Israel, right, that getting the higher density disks is actually a lot more expensive. And so he's like, yeah, I basically ended up, I think it goes, what, 525 and 100, I think, Mm -hmm. in terms of the size of those. He's like, yeah, I got like the middle one because that was just the cheapest per gigabyte cost for right now.
0: Yeah, what I what I found for me acquiring it via, you know, my favorite South American themed uh <laughs> internet retailer um <laughs> is that they were it was generally about the same like in terms of dollars per gigabyte. So it was just buy buy what you thought worked for yeah. you. And obviously depending on which supplier you go with, right? But um the uh but I was frustrated on the whole support for the for the hundred gigabyte thing. So I, I my, my my research will continue. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, you know, I heard your story, the origin story, if you will, of of, of MDISC. I, you know, I, I know what happens when you assume, but I assumed that, you know, you're, you know, I'm I'm guessing you're LDS. You're, you know, you work for BYU. Mm-hmm. I figured there was an LDS angle to this. Um, the that because I know that um, the church uh, is is big on preservation and all of that sort of stuff. So I I, I concocted in my head a completely different origin story. Um, does, it, does it have? Is there any connection to your university?
2: Uh, not really. The there, there's an obtuse connection in that we felt that the church might be one of our early customers. Uh, as you mentioned, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints really does care a great deal about storing things permanently, right. with their their, their uh, granite vaults in the, the little Cottonwood Canyon up in Salt Lake and so forth. But they don't use unproven technology; they only use something that has been proven and been around for a long time. And the course, uh, the M disk, of the course, was not proven at the time. We don't know if it's been adopted. At least, to our knowledge, it has not been adopted by the church. Uh, but no, the, it wasn't initiated by the church. We just knew that they might be an early customer.
0: You were—it was—it was kind of hopes. <laughs> we were hoping. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the yeah. Th- so that's an interesting aspect, by the way, because you know the conversations that I've had on Reddit with what I'll call randos, um, <laughs> to borrow a name from uh, or a word from the younger generation, random people on Reddit. Um, the, it's the, the there are those that when they hear about in this case M disk being rated for a thousand years, when they hear about tape being rated for thirty years, when they hear about Blu-ray being rated for whatever, they all understand that that that's via you know advanced ASING technology. Obviously, M disk wasn't invented a thousand years ago, and it hasn't been tested for a thousand years. Since since most people haven't participated in advanced aging techniques, um, you know, m- maybe help us understand that part of it a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, I love to talk about that. My chemistry friend, Matt Linford, uh, is one that's even stronger in this area, but uh, he has helped me make sure I understand relatively well. So let's back up uh, a few decades to where paint is being uh, used nationwide, primarily here in this country. And various companies are saying, well, our paint is better than your paint. Well, how do you know that it's better? Well, okay, let's, let's take a surface and let's paint it with our paint and your paint, and then let's abuse it. Well, how is paint abused? What causes paint to degrade? Well, we know that sunshine and rain and temperature variation, all of those are pretty tough on paint. So let's put it in a chamber where we put bright lights on it. We raise the temperature and lower the temperature and put rain on it, and then let's test it. Well, that's fun and that's cool, but how do we tie a science to it? Well, the really good thing is this guy named Arrhenius and another guy named Eyring both came up with equations that tell us exactly what the degree of degradation is as a function of the materials being used and how that relates to real time. So let's say that I degrade something in in 20 hours of this abusive testing what does 20 hours of abusive testing mean? So all we have to do really is identify what kinds of factors cause the recording layer of the M-disc to degrade. We already knew enough about polycarbonate and we know what causes polycarbonate to degrade. So that means that if we put ultraviolet light on the and, and regular light on the uh, disc and the recording layer, if we put it in temperature, high temperature and high humidity, we know exactly how much degradation will cause thousand years of degradation. That's accelerated aging. It's a a science that was developed by the paint industry. And now it's been extended, of course, to all sorts of industries, including optical discs. Interesting.
0: So you're basically just sort of borrowing. By the way, I had no idea that it started with the paint (laughs) industry. I had no idea.
2: So so that's what the Naval Weapons Research Center did down in China Lake, California. They had this Mm -hmm. chamber, and the chamber had a lot of bright lights and it had a temperature control and humidity. So they put all the discs in there, including ours, and including the very best optical discs, and this tortured them under very carefully controlled conditions, and then tested them, put them on a reader, see what the air mm-hmm. rate, what happened to the air rate. And of course you watch those air rates climb and climb and climb on all the other discs until they completely failed when no, they were no longer correctable, where our disc was just going, hey, this is nice, this is like a walk on the beach. <laughs>
0: Interesting. I walk on a very hot beach,
2: but a very hot, very intensely lit beach. But nevertheless, no
1: problem. So after they did all this testing, do you know if there are other government agencies or other groups who are using MDISC for their
2: archival media? At one time, I know the Library of Congress was uh, looking at it. And I also know that all senators and all congressmen were given an MDISC drive so that they could record things on them.
0: I'll give the good and the bad. Right. So the, the, the good is this all sounds great. Right. And, and I'll give the bad and then I'm going to go back to the good. The bad is that, you know, this combination of things that we said earlier of like the business aspect of it, right? Like what, what would happen tomorrow if verbatim's like, you know what, we've been making this for, you know, X number of years now. There's only three guys that are buying it. There's some guy named Daniel out in Israel. He keeps buying a bunch of copies and then nobody else, nobody else is buying this thing. Uh, We're just going to stop making it. So that, that, that's the worry. I do understand the good is that that doesn't mean that because of, because of, you know, how it was designed, that doesn't mean that what you've done is in any way degraded, right? You can still, you will continue to be able to read any MDIS that you've written I'd say that the only worry would be that you would get enthused about something that then might be suddenly, uh, you know, snatched away. Stockpile, but,
1: Curtis, stockpile. Yeah. But, but
0: <laughs> if there are large governmental or, or you know, commercial concerns that are in any way using MDISC, I would think that that would. And none of that was really a question, Barry. I don't know. I don't know how you want to. <laughs> How you want to comment on that?
2: <laughs> we would love to have had large customers using large quantities of discs. And I know at one time, uh, one company was developing an optical disc uh, cabinet that would store thousands of optical discs. And they would be uh, what we call cold storage. So you, you, know, you store it on them and then just keep it there for a long time. So, uh, But that apparently didn't catch on. And so we've never found a, a large single entity that purchased large quantities of the disk. i was thinking just about like daniel's use case right he had a very specific
1: use case where he's like hey i'm creating all these videos i need to store them somewhere i can't upload it to the cloud because it, my internet sucks and it's too expensive right and mdisc is one of those things that he sort of latched onto and sort of educated us on I'm just wondering, are there other people who just don't know it exists? Going back to the initial thing we were talking about, right? Those three groups, right? It just seems there are a lot of people who don't know it exists. And the fact that it's not really that expensive to start using it either.
2: Right? Yeah, that's a great question too. And I attended a number of conferences that were related to archival. So the archival... uh, Uh, For like eight eight years, I believe, I presented papers at the archival conferences, two different ones. And you meet people there who care a great deal about storing things for a long time. And Mm -hmm. all of them are concerned about the fact that digital data is not something that they they can store permanently. They all have what they call cycles. So they'll take it and copy it onto something new. And so they're always refreshing it, putting on a new media uh, type just because that's the only way to keep it persistent. And a number of the times that I went there, they would say, well, there's one exception and that's the M disk, but we don't know much about it. And their studies, they're being millenniata's and of course we have a vested interest in bragging about ourselves. And so you can't, you can't, you have to doubt our validity. That's the perspective anyway. Uh, they say, well, they themselves say that it lasts a thousand years plus, and they do cite this one study by an independent agency, the Network Weapons Research Center. Uh, but who knows? And so it, the, most of the, the response that I got was, well, we don't know enough about the M-Disc. We haven't seen a proven track record. And in the meantime, we know we have pr- processes that allow us to preserve our data for the next five years. And so we're okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but
1: as yeah. your yeah. data I mean, keeps I mean, growing, though, it's like at some point copying forward that data every time you're going to spend all your time with your tape drive, just moving data from one to another rather than actually backing up anything new.
2: Then you're exactly right persona
0: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think you might be being a little hard on the tape and optical folks that aren't M disc. When I hear you talking about like optical dying after 10 years, uh, you know, you talk about, you say you're, then disc is good for a thousand years. Well, they say that optical is good for a whole lot longer than you're talking about. Right. And, yeah. and LTO tape, for example, rated for 30 years. Right. Um, yeah. not, not disc, right. Disc is a different problem and certainly not solid state, but, um, you know, I want to
2: say something about those numbers. When they rate life expectancy, they almost always are giving you the maximum, the best life expectancy. They're not giving you the mean, and they're not giving you the minimum, and so what you hear is them bragging about their media. Well, of course they would do that, but we're we're saying that our shortest life expectancy is a thousand years. In other words, you won't have problems until a thousand years. Let me cite a study that I did back in 2012, published at a conference. So these are this is a published uh, optical disc life expectancy, a field report from the Uh, ISOM ODS 2011, that's the International Symposium of Optical Media and Optical Data Storage. And what we did was we studied a total of 26,500 optical discs stored by two different libraries, and these are recorded professionally by these libraries, and then stored in optical storage boxes in a temperature and humidity controlled environment. So these are non-circulating discs. You can't check them out. They're backup purposes only. And what we did is we checked and looked at what is the percent of files that can't be read on these disks brand new versus five years and three to seven years out and so forth. We had some that were three years old and some that were up to 14 years old. And here's the bottom line. Two percent of the files per year are starting to fail. So every year you lose two percent more of your files. So that's with the very best optical quality, archival quality optical disk and stored in pristine, absolute, best controlled conditions. We're losing 2% per year
0: of our files. Just to make sure I understand, this is not something that would be caught or fixed by error correction. This
2: no, is, these files that were unreadable had so many errors that they couldn't
0: be read. That That is shocking, but I'd love to take a look at that study. Um, you know, maybe we could do another episode on because that's that is certainly does not match what the optical. And I can I assume that you've done a similar study with M disk. Um,
2: we've not had a library that has used the M disk for uh, fourteen years. <laughs> no, we have not done a similar study with the M disk.
0: Okay, it would it would be a very interesting study you, to to do.
2: I know it's probably not a good sample
1: size, but. Given that M disk has been around for a while now, have you actually gone back and looked at those very first M disks that were burned, if you will, to look at the to see what the error rates look like, wow, if at
2: all? What a good question! <laughs> yeah, we would love to do that. I no longer have the funds to do that kind of research because the company was funding my research. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a
0: company anymore, yeah. so no, I have I've not done that, but I would love to. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, the, the, the verbiage that you said that the conferences that they go to that you went to and, and they said, there's this one company, you know, millennia out of that. So, but we don't know much about that, but we know what we have and we know what we need to do. And we have a process built around that. Right. Um, and cause that matches a lot. So a, a, another guy that's been on the podcast, uh, the uh, Jeff Rockland so we had him on here about how Hollywood archives data and I happened to be <clears throat> in his uh he at the time he was um head of IT for Disney feature Animation and I was in the um, um I was in his data center when they were archiving um dinosaur I believe was the the movie and they chose to archive on the DVD, but not Blu ray, which was available at the time because it was a new, unproven technology, right? Okay. Um, and uh, and by the way, that's a lot of DVDs. <laughs> those, <laughs> oh, yeah, those are 4.7 gigabytes, right? That is a lot of DVDs. He had this, he had this like it was a robotic DVD, uh, you know, machine that. Uh, he could basically, somebody's job was to put in all these DVDs and then wait for the export to, to finish. And then they would take all those DVDs and put them out. And now what I'm hearing you say is that was only like 15 years ago. And that, that stuff's that, you know, probably degraded to the point Two per, that, you know, 2% per year, know, yep. 2% per year. Um, Well, you know, to be honest, did we need to save 100% of Dinosaur? Anyway. Oh, no, um...
1: (laughs) not at all, Curtis. I guess for people who want to get access to M disks and the drives, right, is it just a matter of looking up where Verbatim sells their M disk, purchasing uh, in whatever the appropriate size they're looking for, and just making sure they have a compatible Blu-ray drive?
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. It seems pretty straightforward. Uh, and I, and I did quite a bit of research on, on Amazon. Uh, and, and there was, there was no shortage of vendors that were selling M disk capable Blu-ray drives. The only challenge I found was in, uh, finding ones that had the, the hundred gigabyte or the 50 gigabyte stamp on them. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, Answer to this will probably be, I have no idea how to answer that question, but I'm asking anyway. <laughs> um, there there are some people out there that have that are using the M disk, and that they they were critical of some of the Blu-ray drives that write to it. Um, and it's like, well, what would make a good drive versus a bad drive when writing to MDIS. Do you have any idea what that might be?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, unfortunately, there's quite a bit of variation in how the write strategy works on the laser. The, the interface between the laser and the media itself can cause quite a bit of variation because there's movement of the head, both laterally and vertically. And then, of course, the media is not always 100% consistent across the surface of the disk. So you're going to have areas where the laser works more effectively or less effectively. And so you wind up with uh, what we call headroom. Uh, headroom is the distance between how good, how well a disk operates uh, without failing and how perfect it could be if everything worked perfectly. That's the headroom that you have to work with. So you always want a disk that works yet has room for improvement, and fewer errors in other words. And that is all a function of the physics of the recording process. But as soon as you get below that headroom you're suddenly starting to run out of room and now you're you're recording with so many
0: errors that you will not be able to read it back
2: uh, with 100 percent corrected errors uh,
0: but I'm, I'm not sure maybe maybe you heard a different question than the one I thought I asked but because <laughs> uh, I don't think that's an answer to the question I thought I was asking so uh, that. that's fine I'm talking about the drives themselves like what would make a good Blu-ray drive versus a not as good Blu-ray drive, and I for
1: someone looking so, to purchase a drive, yeah, how can they yeah figure out which one? Because to buy? The, uh-huh. the price
0: difference is like there are forty dollar drives that do M disk, there are one hundred and fifty dollar <laughs> drives that do M disk. What's the difference between a forty dollar Blu-ray drive and a one hundred and fifty dollar Blu-ray drive? Marketing. Okay, that's, I clearly
2: did not answer the question you asked,
0: and I apologize. <laughs> okay.
2: So the the answer to that is I would have to test the drives myself. I would have to take a bunch of standard media and record on each of the, the drives and then see what my error rate is in the readback. Because you're right. Uh, I can't tell. When I look at the brand, I can say, well, that's a reputable brand. Is this brand $150 versus $60? Is it worth that much more? I don't know. And until I do an analysis of the disks that it writes and and look at how many errors there are on that disk when I read it back, I won't know the difference. But is it possible that a $160 drive will have fewer errors when I read it back than a $40 drive? Yes, it's possible. But can I say that? No, not without testing. And then I think the
1: other challenge will be quality control too, right? Because that $160 drive, right? You might have a batch that looks amazing and someone else buys the exact same one and they just got a crummy batch. And so now you get more error rate or bit errors
2: than before
0: bit errors exactly all right well my research continues <laughs> well uh yeah um it's been fascinating barry i'm encouraged and excited about this medium it's new to me so i i, I want to call it a new medium it's not that new um and you know i i have the same concern that you do right the, the same concern that started the creation of M i I think about it all the time. I think about how that um you know we, we we used to get a box of letters, you know, from an attic somewhere and you learn about yeah. stuff from somebody from a hundred years ago. There are no boxes of letters anymore. That's gone, right? It's gone. But it, Right. That, that's, that's just, that's just not going to happen unless somebody hands over the password to my Gmail account or something. Right. <laughs> but, uh, and assuming my Gmail account is around in 10 years, but, but the photos, the photos are a real thing. We, we really don't, we really don't as a, the current society is so we're, we're so used to very reliable pieces of technology until I drop it, of course. Or wash um, it, and yeah, or wash <laughs> it. Shut up, persona. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, I'm on my second set of uh, AirPods here, by the way, due to a <laughs> little trip in the wash. We don't, as a as a society, just we don't do a good job of preserving the stuff that used to all automatically be preserved for us, right? Mm-hmm. I think if you want to start going down the route of properly preserving, even just for yourself, properly preserving important photos and videos that you think you would like to have in 20 years. I I can't think of a better way to do that than MDISC. Um, You know, they will be there. The disk will have the data. I, I
2: like to tell other people that say, well, the cloud's a solution. Well, the cloud is a very nice solution as long as you continue to pay your annual subscription fee. But when you die, they don't preserve it because they love you. They preserve it right. because you pay them. So <laughs> once you stop paying them, they will not preserve your data. It's not going to be there.
0: No, it's not going to happen. Well, Barry, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on.
2: Thank you, Curtis. Thank you. Thank you, Prasanna. It's been great to visit with you both.
0: And Thanks, Prasanna. Um, yeah. You know, do you think Do you think we covered this all right this week? I think we
1: did a good job. And thank you, Barry, for answering our questions. Honestly, at this point, I'm like, I have a bunch of things, pictures, and other important stuff sitting on disks and other things. I'm like, maybe I should go pick up an mdis drive and some media. Curtis, when you finish your research, just tell me what you buy so I can buy the same thing. <laughs> it makes it easier.
0: Well, I'm going to buy 10. <laughs> apparently, that's what I need to do. I'm going to buy 10 blu-ray drives um and then i you know you know you
1: know an easier solution for this what we should just ask daniel what he bought because i bet you he did the research
0: (laughs) (laughs) i bet bet you you are right uh, but if i know daniel he probably bought the 150 dollar drive um yeah anyway all right well thank you very much to the listeners we'd be nothing without you be sure to subscribe uh so that you can restore it all Mm.